Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. I'm Mikey Worrell. My guest this week is the actress, singer and comedian Pippa Evans. Pippa is part of the Olivier award-winning showstopper The Improvised Musical and works extensively as a writer and a performer across theatre, TV, radio and comedy. And now she's launching a new show at the other palace called The Parts I'll Never Play, where musical theatre stars will be there to sing songs from roles that they think they will never be cast in. Pippa and I met up one morning in Soho for a cup of tea and a chat. Here's our conversation. Pippa Evans, welcome to Backstage With. Hello. I just took a mouthful of croissant because it's the morning. So fun to be here. This is the earliest I've ever actually recorded one of these. Is it? It is. I am an early morning person. So am I. Are you? I, when you said 10am, I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. Although I was working till 11pm last night, so. Oh, really? And then here you are in a strange office in Soho. Well, you know... That, that's very much the day job. This is my passion. Your passion. Make it happen, as uh, they say. <laughs> the, the advice I got was, if you want to make the thing, make the thing. That's right. So yeah. here we are, making the thing. <laughs> Let's not talk about me. Why are we talking about me? We should be talking about you. <laughs> I love talking about other people. Your website describes you as the ultimate modern hyphen job human. <laughs> yes, it's true. I love that turn of phrase. Tell me about everything you're working on at the moment. So I'm working on an improvised one-person show which isn't really a one-person show but people tend to like marketing tends to like the phrase it's a one-woman show but actually it's myself and a accompanist called Christopher Ash who um, is one of the MDs from Showstopper the improvised musical and we will create a show with songs with the audience where the audience play other parts so that's one of the things I'm working on I'm doing that not and will they will they come up on stage They'll, some will come up on stage so I've done it performed it four times now Sometimes people come up on stage, sometimes we work with them in their seat, sometimes the audience en masse plays something. But it all comes from the audience. So I lo- I re- I'm very excited about that show, actually. So I'm doing that at the Nottingham Playhouse tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Then I'm doing it in Oslo at the Andrew Theatre Festival uh, in June. I cannot say their, the name of their theatre without speaking like this. <laughs> um, they're amazing, absolutely amazing improv company uh, in Norway. I'm also working on a show called The Parts I'll Never Play, which is with The Other Palace, where uh, musical theatre stars perform the songs of the parts they'll never get cast in. I wrote a song basically about six years ago called The Parts I'll Never Play, where I lament the fact that I'll never get to be Fagin and I'll never get to be in Cats and I'll never get to be in a Sondheim because Judy Dench will never die. And so... And neither will Imelda Staunton. And neither will Imelda Staunton. Yeah, exactly. They just replace replace them. So we've got Kaiser Hammerland, who was just in Fun Home and Violet. She's amazing. And she was she was incredible in Sweet Charity in Manchester. Was she? She was so... That's the first thing I ever saw oh, her Oh, really? Oh. I bet she was. She was so good. I was... When I met her, so we, we have a showstopper podcast. Yeah. And um, so she came and did that. And I knew she was in Violet, but I just hadn't clicked that she was the main character in Fun Home. And then I was like, I can't believe it. I couldn't, my brain, even though I know that's what actors do. <laughs> I was like, how did you play both those parts? Do you, I feel like she's one of those people who, 
when when people do lots of different you see people in lots of different shows you can still recognize them but mm. i feel like her she takes on a completely different look yes. in everything she does so she was com- from sweet charity to fun home she was completely unrecognizable she came on and i was like is that is that real mm. yeah what a, and that's such a costumes are a, marvelous thing. aren't costumes amazing we don't give enough credit to the costume makers uh, she's, she's fantastic and Luke Kempner who I know actually from my life in comedy land but who has a musical theatre background which a lot of people don't realise because they know him from doing funny voices on Big Brother oh and uh, Christopher Chung who was just in Heathers of course so I'm really excited to see what he's going to do and, yeah, and it's just like a fun show and then, of course, the showstopper, the improvised musicals. So we continue to attempt to improvise uh, Western musicals around the world. Which is wonderful. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Are you? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I've only been three times, which pales in comparison to a lot of people, but I only discovered it this year. It was the other palace when I had my first outing. Do you remember your first showstopper show? I remember all of my showstopper shows. Do you? Do you remember all of the ones you've done? Like, if someone says a title, can you immediately go, that one? Most of the time, if my memory is jogged, I can remember something. So if I say Tennessee Waltz... Oh, yeah, I love that show. That was such a good... That was my first one. Oh, yeah. Great. What a great first one. And I think you were a person down as well that night, I was told. Yes, you're right. Ruth wasn't very well, so she didn't do that show. Well, one of the joys of the show is we can adapt. So we have, in fact, done two-hander showstoppers. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> Because um, it was... To be fair, it was only a, a charity event where we were supposed to do 20 minutes. So sometimes we come, come along and we'll do a very abridged musical... And uh, we were doing a fundraiser and I said to Adam, who's one of the artistic directors of Showstopper, could you think, would it be okay if Showstopper did 20 minutes for Sunday Assembly? Uh, and he said, yeah, sure. Um, but because it's called Sunday Assembly, he assumed it was on a Sunday, but because it was a fundraiser, it was on a Thursday. Uh, <laughs> so, And it happened to be a Thursday where there was two other Showstopper shows on. So there was only myself and Andrew Pugsley available and um, Ishani Parampanigam, who was one of our MDs until recently. And she'd only just started being one of our MDs. So we just turned up and rocked up and we did a show called Llama Farmers. Yeah, it was great. actually a really great show. Let me tell you the other two I've seen, just in case you remember those as well. Phantom of the Operating Theatre. Yes, I remember that. The Ghost. Yes, The Ghost. Was... Oh, when Ruth was the exorcist. Was I in the chair for that? You were in the chair. Yes. Yeah, because I was only in the chair for four shows, I think. So I, I remember Do you that. have a preference? I'm guessing you prefer to be in, in the thick of it. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I... Then my only sadness as the chair is that I can't jump in and, you know, even just to do a little cameo, if I can be like, oh, I know exactly what I'd want to do right now. The only sadness of the chair is you don't get to sing. Mm. But the joy of the chair is you you get to watch it whilst feeling a part of it. Uh, And you really appreciate everyone's amazing skills. And the most recent one, Knickerbocker Glory. I wasn't in that idea. You were. Was I? Yes, that was the Knicker Factory at the Lyric. Was that with Mr. Whippy? No. No, that was when you did the Tina Turner I Had a Baby oh, number. Yes. Which made my <laughs> life. Oh my goodness. It was one of the funniest things that I've was ever seen. It was such a funny moment because I remember when that Tina Turner got called. So, anyone listening who doesn't know the show, at the top, the host asks for the title of the show and the setting for the show uh, not in that order and uh, and four musical styles and one of them that they the audience said and it, they should be musical theatre styles of shows either in the West End or whatever and they someone said Tina Turner and, and when they said that I was like oh I really want to get that I love Tina Turner <laughs> you nailed uh, and then it I got it and I was like yes we have this uh, principle which Ali James who's our movement director gave us which is this idea that you should fill up 
from the genre should fill you up from the bottom of your feet and you should feel it enter your entire body. And I really felt, because a bit of you before any call goes, oh God, I'm never going to be able to do this. Uh, and then I felt Tina Turner like enter my, myself and uh, yeah, it was really fun. I had a baby! Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> I, I actually remember one of the lyrics so clearly because it made me crease so much. It was baby number four and I said, Ted, won't you penetrate me a little bit more? <laughs> to come up with that on the spot oh my god oh my god i don't even remember saying that yeah that's what's amazing it's outstanding it's yeah it's what's fun about shows is a lot of it comes just comes out of you you are just a vessel for the thing to come out of your mouth you know so it's nice when someone quotes something back you go oh i don't remember saying that it's not it's weirdly weirdly egoless a lot of it because you're just going bah, i will embody this character and hope that my, i'm able to get the lines down. At what point during a showstopper do you stop feeling the fear and start feeling that this is going well, I can sort of relax into it a little bit more now? Um, about eight years in. Okay. So good. I've been doing it for 11 years. So I don't feel fear as much. And so, so now fear is like literally like a, a tiny, a poke, you know, you'll have this tiny moment of, <gasps> and um, then you go, oh, you've done over 700 of these. You're probably going to be okay. So once you're on, yeah. you're okay. Yeah. Yeah, or some, you know, uh, that's part of the fun of it. That's part of the chair's role is to go, can you do this? You know, they're, they're a goader. You know, they're, they're trying to push us even faster because what you as the audience don't want to see is six slightly arrogant people going, yeah, we can improvise the musical. What you want to see is six people going, okay, this, we're gonna, are we going to be able to do it this time? You know, you want to see us on that high wire. I love it. I love that show. The, the thing that, that took me by surprise the first time I came was how on your side the audience feels and how gratifying it is when something goes well and how much everyone is just like yeah when it does go well <laughs> i remember there was i can't remember which one it was i think it was phantom of the operating theater there was like a lame is battle number and everyone was just loving it and it just, it just lucy trod i think was leading that i think i think so yes but just towards the end when it's just all coming to a head it's just so uplifting and the joy you feel I actually think rivals most West End shows and actually probably surpasses many of them. Well, I think... That's very kind of you to say. Anytime. Uh, very kind. The joy of our show is it's all in the audience's hands. And so it's really... The whole thing is about this relationship with the room. So a perfect showstopper is one where the audience leaves feeling like that show would have been different if I wasn't in the room. That like we've all experienced something together which I think is the best kind of theatre and the point of live theatre for me is we should, everyone should leave affected by what they saw, otherwise what's the point? And so I think that's why I sometimes struggle with scripted stuff now, just because I'm so used to improvised stuff, because a bit of me sometimes wants to stand up and go, why are you saying that? What's that? You know, and, I, and what I like about our show is if someone does do that, we will respond to it. Um, so that's, that's a, sort of exciting for me. But I've been in shows, you know, plays where I've found them really boring and not known probably you're not allowed to stand up and go <laughs> boo but why not imagine that imagine if we changed the whole etiquette of theater oh my gosh that's a big a big idea well it's interesting because we're, we're allowed to join in in some way so like have you been to see come from away yes which i absolutely my favorite and at the end it, like everyone just wants to be up there dancing and everyone's on their feet and like dan welcome to the back and everyone wants to be stopping their foot and being like i want to move to newfoundland and so exciting. So we're allowed to join in when we're that in that way, but then there's also that that 
where's the level of respect isn't there to the performer so mm. people who go see West End musicals like Mamma Mia on Hen Nights and sing along and they're like you know you're ruining it for everyone else I don't know there's something interesting about how much we're allowed to join in and when when is it annoying and when is it challenging I don't know it's interesting because like how often should we how often are we allowed are we allowed on the other side of the fourth wall mm, yes big question it is a big question because we always question. talk about as an actor I've chosen to break the fourth wall but we don't talk about the audience breaking the fourth wall because we don't we're sort of like well this is my space I'm I'm the actor on the stage which is why kids love it when they get invited on stage isn't it whereas grown-ups don't like it when they're invited on stage terrifying. as much terrifying yeah but kids are like wow I get to go on that side of the stage it's far more interesting than this side the main thing we had to talk about is the parts I'll never play, or that's the peg, as it were. Oh, is it the peg? The peg. Are you going to be up there as well? Sing? Are you? Are you sort of comparing, or are you going to be giving us your parts as well? Um, as it yeah, yeah, so my, I'll give you my parts. Sorry, that uh, <laughs> came out before I realised how it sounded. You've just experienced what it is to be in show with the improvised musical. Um, uh, yes, I will sing a song, but um, well, well, sing my song, which the show is based on. Okay. So I'll be like Scylla, you know? Like, sure, so sure. I sing the theme tune and then I interview people and then I go, is it time for another song? I'm like Scylla and Elaine Page roll together, that's why I am. Okay, so it's um, not just the songs, it's we'll have a bit of context as well. Yeah, absolutely, because otherwise, I think what's interesting about it is like, why do you think you'd ever get cast as that? Because also casting is really opening up now. So there's something interesting about things that maybe I wouldn't have been cast as when I was little. Like maybe I would be cast as them now when I was little, if that makes sense. So, because I was a very chubby little child who looked like a bit like a boy, I've looked very much, everyone thought I was a boy. I was a fat boy uh, till I was about 14. And so, <laughs> so um, I remember my school, like, we'd get people coming to, you know, audition kids for things and I would never get anything because I wasn't cute, which is like Devo for when you're, when you're that age. And so now I think, oh, but maybe now would they allow, let would they let someone who wasn't super cute do those parts? I don't know. It's sort of interesting because because we kind of want to see different kinds of faces. And one of the people in the parts I never play, uh, one of the points of it also was to get a new face on stage. And so we did a sort of audition. You could send in a video and audition to be the fourth person. And we've got this guy, Jensen Steele, from the Brit School. He's only 16, but he said on his application form, I already know I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always cast as the sassy gay friend or, or the fat pal, and I'd love to not have to do that. And that's so, again, it's like interesting, isn't it, when if someone is larger, you're suddenly not, se- you're, you desexualize, right? Whereas it's like, every, everyone has sex, everyone is attracted to different people. So, so what could you have a a large lead as Danny Zuko. You know, could Danny Zuko be over overweight? Why could not? Could Danny Zuko be black? Could Danny Zuko be <laughs> in his 40s? Probably <laughs> That's <not>. creepy. <laughs> but all the other ones, like, yeah, of course he could be. That's really interesting. James Corden actually said that on David Tennant's podcast about how sad it made him feel that he was always the fat, the fat one. Mm. And, that, and he was like, fat people fall in love too. And mm. And it, it's so true. It, it's it's actually staggering when you think about it and you go into a show and you look at the cross-section of, of a cast and the people watching, to be fair, and yeah. you, you see both sides of it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, people always go, oh, I really wish the audiences were more diverse. Like, well, that's only going to happen. You know, why do we go to theatre to see ourselves? So that's why audiences of theatre are mostly white middle-class people, because that's who makes theatre. What are the parts that you think you'll never play? Oh my God, so many. Um, 
I would lo- genuinely love to be Fagin. I think I'd be wicked. You see, I think that could happen. Well, so yeah, so part, I mean, obviously there's an agenda to this show, which is <laughs> all of us can <laughs> play anything. And one of the joys of Showstopper, again, Showstopper the Improvised Musical, is everyone in Showstopper is a fantastic performer, but wouldn't get cast in a, in a particular, a, a highly commercial West End show because we don't look like the parts that are in those kind of shows, right? And so... Um, that's kind of interesting to me. But what's great about Showstopper, therefore, is we can play anything. So I have played the beautiful young high school person. Like, I would never get cast as Sandy in Greece. I wouldn't want to be because it's a really boring part. Um, Until that reprise at the very end. But Yeah. But, and then, but also there's a thing, isn't there? Because that's based on a film. So then people want to see you in the outfit and they want some... They wouldn't, would, would we accept someone who didn't look like Olivia Newton-John? Because that's also part of that... That's an interesting question for us. Like, why don't we want anything to change? Hmm. Mm. Um, so Fagin, yeah. I would love to play Matilda. I would love to play Miss Trunchbull. I think it's almost a travesty that yeah. Miss Trunchbull is always played by a man in drag. When actually, look at Lucy Trod in Showstopper. She's six foot one. Put her in a pair of heels. She'd be an incredible Trunchbull. I'm surprised that they haven't done that as a PR thing. Like... This role is gender fluid. Yeah, exactly. Like literally anyone could play that part because yeah. it's so made up. I would love I would love to see myself, but mostly I'd like to see Lucy Trod as <laughs> as Miss Trunchbull. I would love to play uh, Tenardier. Not necessarily Madame. You know, okay. The 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 male part. There's a lot of I think it's also because I went to a girls' school, so I played the men all the time. And so then when I got into the real world of acting, I was like, whoa, oh, I can only play wife and girlfriend and very rarely either of those things because I'm not a little a little minx. Do you think Marianne Elliott and company have helped kick casting open a bit more after they swapped Bobby round and some of the others? Well, I'm, what my question would be like, will we, be, will we allow it to just happen? So I think Hamilton's probably done more okay. than Company's done. And the reason I think Hamilton's done more is because it didn't feel like a PR thing. And I'm not saying that Company was a, uh, 100% a PR thing, but it's when everything is sold on. We've changed the gender. It's like Hamilton changed so much uh, in terms of who's on stage, who's playing who. It's the first multiracial company to play historically white old men, like white men in power, but without any comment on it. There's no, you know, it's not a show that's going, look what we did, aren't we clever? You know? Yeah. Uh, so I think Hamilton's really made people go, oh, so uh, if I say I'm the king of England, uh, obviously it was a bad example because the king of England is the only white guy in it. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, but the point being, like, I say, oh, I'm a high, st- high status aristocracy person um, and I'm played by a black guy. As an audience, I will just, I will just accept that. It's, fun. Like, it's yeah. funny how it plays with your mind. When I went to Washington, having become familiar with Hamilton, mm. and you see a picture of Thomas Jefferson, you go, well, that's not Thomas Jefferson. Yes. Thomas Jefferson's a black man with deadlocks. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? He raps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has a, a fabulous pink outfit. Yeah. That's not him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's really important. Because, again, it's like... Um, well, I mean, that's what, that final song, you know, who tells your story, it's really important. It's like, you know, because it's kind of double-edged, that question, isn't it? It's like... Yeah, who, who, who are you going to let tell your story? Are we going to just let um, the same people tell the story forever? No, and I really think I really think that's opening up, and that's very exciting. And it's almost kinder actually having a bit more diversity 
take Thomas Jefferson for instance it's it's a kinder representation having that than having a, 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 an old white man who you might more perceive as more evil in quotation marks yeah well yeah you're right as a, ba- as a baddie because you know he, wa- he wasn't the greatest no no but maybe it sort of allows us to see the human rather than just the achievements or the failures <laughs> the massive terrible failures mm. um, yeah yeah so I think so I think casting is opening up it's fascinating though isn't it there's so there's such a great conversation yeah or many conversations yeah so do you know what your guests are have they have chosen or is that going to be a surprise it's going to be a surprise on the night I do know what they're going to do but if I tell you then I'd have to kill you and also be less fun wouldn't it I'm trying to think of other people that I want to play because there's so many and then now of course I can't remember well now I'm making notes in my head that next time I come to Showstoppers I have to call out Matilda and Oliver yes straight away uh, really great what's another song I love singing basically I'd like to play every part and come from away I know right I that, know. that big song and then they're on the plane at the end yeah I just want to be in that number just want to be in that stop number. the world I'd like to be Nick stop the world <laughs> stop the world <laughs> so great that really nerdy he's so cute I'm hoping you're one of those people that laughs when an English person says something awkward oh yeah he's great uh, <laughs> oh I love it so much it's so brilliant Clive who I saw was your last interviewee what a legend oh and he's goodness. so amazing also did you watch them on Olivier's Yes. They were so cute. I was like, oh my God. And I was like, please win, please win, please win. Uh, I was so, oh, so amazing uh, when they won. But then when they were, they were so nervous, weren't they, waiting for their, am I going to win the best supporting? Oh, they just look so adorable. I know. But he's so brilliant as the mayor. Oh, unreal. Unreal. Yeah. And I've, I've spoken to him a couple of times before when they've done junkets and stuff, but to actually get 40 minutes to just be like, tell me about 1985. Yes. It was incredible. Oh. I nearly cried. Yeah, and he's been in so much stuff. He, and that's what made me laugh at everyone. So I've been to see it twice, and I took two different people, and they were like, what's he been in? I was like, we don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be here longer than the show. Exactly. Uh, it's such a great guest. That, but, but then that's a show, I feel like. That's a great show in terms of casting, I think. Again, smashed it, absolutely yeah. smashed it. So they, and I feel like that's a show that's very open. They would have lots of different people in that show. Uh, I love that. What's another show that's on at the moment? Have you seen Six? No, I haven't seen Six yet. I keep meaning to go see Six. Don't listen, just go. Go, okay. okay but go. they are, I'm warning you, they are earworms and you will wake up at 2 a.m. going, Kay Howard is here. <laughs> <laughs> so I have heard it because obviously it gets shouted at shows about all the time. So I've listened to it. Oh, uh, right, I've okay. Seen and of course, because you have to research all of these things. Yeah, I've literally listened to only musical theatre all the time. I'm saying. Yeah. But it's not my job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're listening to it going, what? Oh, that's interesting. Mm, okay. That's a, that's a really interesting point. How do you listen to something and sort of put that on stage if you haven't actually seen it? Because you just listen to it in your bones and then go on YouTube and see what and anything okay. you can find of any clips of them, how they move. Yeah. Because it's very expensive to go and see everything. It so is. It's so expensive. So um, I see as much as I can. Hades Town, I saw. I loved Hades Town. I missed that Oh, one. so brilliant. I would like to be the um, be Hades, but my voice isn't low enough. So it also parts of the parts parts of the parts I'll never play is parts that you, you don't you, you don't have the skills for. <laughs> so there's also that you know because sometimes it can come across as arrogant, doesn't it? Be like, oh, well, I'll never get to play. I'll never play Elphaba. It's like, well, maybe you don't have the skills to play Elphaba. There's also that element of it. So true. So one of the performers is doing something on why they'll never perform the thing they want to perform. It's mainly because they can't do it. 
because um, that's always amazing. That's one of the joys of musical theatre as well is most musical theatre performers are unbelievably skilled in so many disciplines. And like people just don't sort of res- respect musical theatre performers, do they? And the more and more I see uh, and get more involved in that world, because I'm so, so straddling, I'm such a straddler of comedy land and uh, musical theatre land. But uh, I was the dramaturg on 9 to 5, and uh, I... Uh, That's a fun fact. Fun fact, fun fact. This, this West End this production. This West End production. Pippa oh, Evans was the dramaturg. And so I was in the rehearsal rooms quite uh, quite a bit, uh, watching these just incredible... Dark, like the, the choreography in that is fantastic, and they they move so amazingly. I just I, I was just like in love with all of them, just thinking, oh my God, how are you so, how are you so brilliant? So that's like, I'm not a dancer in any way, shape or form. Um, uh, but I might give it a good go. Uh, I can move. I can, I'm a mover. Is that what I say? I'm an actor who can sing and move. <laughs> but watching people do those sort of things that you know that you couldn't do is something really satisfying about that, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it's really devastating when you hear something that you love so much and you just want to sing along, mm. but it has this either massive bell or soaring tenor and you just can't get there. You can't get there. But as Clive Carter told me, when Roger Allen left at Les Mis and he took over Javert, Stars was too low. So they, they raised it for him <gasps> and it's stayed the same ever since. Wow. So now it's like anything is possible. If they'll raise that for Clive Carter, that'll they'll lower that for me. Yes. <laughs> I'm not an actor, but you know, I can dream. <laughs> but it's true. I think it's true. That's, and it's another thing, isn't it? It's like, well, if, if the, how much can you change a part? And that's the question really, I suppose, for, you know, with the, is there a reason that the composer put it in that key? Was that the key they heard it in? Or, yeah, because there's also that Michael Ball story, isn't there, about the end of Love will never, ever, ever be the same. Love will never, ever, ever be the same. And he goes up to the B. And um, uh, that was his own idea. So the composer didn't necessarily want him to do that, but he did. He decided to do it. And then Icon, Iconic. Well, confession, there are very few musical theatre songs that I severely dislike. And what is that? But love changes everything. <laughs> I can't, I just can't. It comes on the radio and I'm like, no, <laughs> no. I love Michael Ball so much um, because I think he it finds it impossible, apart from when he plays Sweeney Todd, which he did brilliantly, um, almost impossible to have any malice in anything he does. So there's something about the song I love, which is, I can see his dimples when I'm hearing it. You know? Okay, so I think maybe if you've seen it, it, it changes it, but I've only ever heard it. Love, love changes everything. Hands and faces, earth and sky. Is it because the lyrics make no sense? Possibly. There's a lot of that going on, isn't there? A lot of those lyrics. <laughs> love will never, ever, ever be the same. Yeah. You should listen to him singing Since You've Been Gone. Kelly Clarkson? No, 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 no. <laughs> Since You've Been Gone, the uh, 80s song. Uh, since you've been gone, since you've been gone, I'm out of my head, can't take it. You can hear his dimples in that. Okay. Google it. I'll find that. Michael Ball, since you've been gone. I mean, I bet he would nail Kelly Clarkson as well. Oh, he would, yeah. <laughs> Except, again, he would sing it with his dimples. So it would sound like she'd, like, popped to the supermarket rather than left left him for good. Yeah. Since you've been gone, I've been burned for the first time. <laughs> I'm moving on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Down the fruit aisle. <laughs> yeah. You see, now I want to hear that. When you're doing Showstopper and you are listening before you go on and you are hearing styles and shows being called out, yes. are there any that make you groan? 
Mm. Well, some most majority of the show is attitude, right? So most of it has to be that we have to be, we have to just accept whatever the audience gives us. But there are some calls that come up a lot. And so they're harder for us to muster excitement simply because we go, I don't know if there's anything more I have to say about Ikea. <laughs> and so Ikea comes up a lot, Tesco's, and um, Battersea Dogs Home, weirdly, comes up all the time. And so we have to remember that that offer is just the first offer in the show so um we talk about it like chess so in chess your first move might be the same so you might move your pawn one one step forward you can tell i'm a keen chess player um, <laughs> and uh, but then it all depends on then what your move is so even if the musical starts in ikea which we've started um let's say 50 musicals in ikea uh, this is that's only the first offer. So then the music, first musical offer might, will be probably different. The first line offer, the first movement offer. Um, so it's already going to be a different show. But they are harder to be excited about because we've done the first ever Ikea. We've done um, Ikea in Wales. We've done Ikea exploding. You know, we've done <clears throat> so many different things happening in Ikea. So, uh, yeah. So they, they, they make me go, uh, cats, I hate cats so much. I hate it as a genre to do because I just don't like the show so that's the only reason just to find it painful and West Side Story I find really difficult because I think Bernstein is the hardest genre to improvise because we want to do it as well as Bernstein but Bernstein is quite irregular in a lot of so the easiest genres to replicate are ones that are quite repetitive so Bernstein is a real challenge. So I shouldn't not like it because it's a challenge. Also, the the guys in the band, when that comes out, must go, oh God. Yeah, 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 I'm sure they do. But it was not like, oh God, it was like, oh, it's more just, okay, here we go. <laughs> so I suppose it's like going, um, uh, yeah, I'm good at jogging, but sprint, then, then there's a bit of sprint, there's a bit, a bit of a hev- heavy effort goes into those ones. It's like being on the start line for a run, but not knowing what distance or yes. anything. And it's like, oh, oh, 400 meters. Okay, fine. No, marathon. Oh God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But generally we, we, uh, we really enjoy it. And the other palace, I have to say, we got really good, really good, um, suggestions so that, that Tennessee Waltz one was beautiful it was just in Tennessee wasn't it just I think that was it yeah it was really and then simple. it was like a church hall or something wasn't it a lot of it was the dance hall dance hall that's it yeah that nearly burned down it did nearly burn down but luckily <laughs> we challenged I mean it was quite deep that wasn't it it was like we're challenging homophobia weren't we massively like in the 60s yeah that was yeah it was powerful with the with the Hamilton battle number yes and there was a Oh, that was when we sang that Book of Mormon song called... Yes! Um, um, I'm gay. I'm gay. <laughs> and that's okay. Or something. <laughs> something like that. That was really Yes. Funny. I think that was Lauren, wasn't it? Me and Lauren, yeah. Yes, it was you and Lauren, Me yeah. and Lauren Shearing were lovers. It was great. Yeah, what a great show. But yeah, the, the other palace, I think, again, because we had a real mix and we, I think we did get quite a few new audience members, younger and musical theatre fans. So, so we do get musical theatre fans when we're in Shaftesbury Avenue. But we got far more um, punters, I call them punters. Whereas at the other palace, we've got people who are studying musical theatre or have just come out of musical theatre land or work in musical theatre who were really excited, like, oh my gosh, I want to see this. And it's almost like advanced audience members, if you like, coming in with their genres. They're like, oh, can you um, 
can you do, um, uh, what's it called, light on the piazza or something? Uh, and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, sure. No one's ever said that. Normally they say, lame is. Um, so very, it was really exciting, the other palace. Yeah, it was a great venue for it. Because yeah. it was a, bit, a little bit more intimate. Yeah. And like you say, the, the more theatre go theatre fan audience. Yes. And it just, oh, I loved it so much. No, we loved it. We would love, we'd, we would love to go back there. Could or that happen? Or regular home. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it could happen. It's just all these things take time and money and and you people, don't want to do it too soon don't, can't be too soon can't be too soon and also things get booked up like this is amazing how how theatre works in terms of bookings it's like um, oh no we're booked up till 2025 you know <laughs> it's crazy isn't it and not, not that's not the other palace but a lot of theatres you go to they'll be like oh no yeah we've got this booked until this you go wow how can you I would love to see how they organise that stuff because it must be a, a right old mind I want to say the F word, but I won't. I, I can't. I just said the F word like my mother. I, I wanted to say the F word, but I didn't. I held back. I held back. You are probably the only person who straddles the comedy world and the musical theatre world mm. to such an extent. Yeah, maybe. Where did? What's your origin? How did you find your way into both? My X-Men origin story. Um, I So I grew up with amateur dramatic parents. So I grew up with music hall, old time music hall, and musicals and pantomimes in my my sort of surroundings. So I never thought it was weird to be on stage. So that's sort of where the performing came from, or the want to perform, uh, and the comfort in performing. So I don't, I don't, I've, I find it odd when I meet people and they're like, "Oh, I'd never go on stage. It'd be awful." I think, what, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't understand. Um, so that's where that came from. And then I moved into comedy land and did sort of stand up comedy and character comedy but literally at the same time as I started doing that I started doing improvisation and then sh- and showstopper came along and then in the middle of that Venn diagram uh, is I um, my first professional job was a new musical at the Edinburgh Fringe called The Sawdust Circle where I played an old woman uh, in a circus uh, which again shows you it was a sort of slightly amateur production because parts I'll never play, you know, why has a 22-year-old been cast as a 56-year-old Polish woman? I don't know. Anyway, but... It's in Edinburgh. <laughs> it's in Edinburgh, exactly, do whatever. Um, but I loved it, and I loved... I love singing, and I love singing properly. So, comedy music, so I write a lot of songs on Radio 4 and stuff, and, and a lot of the time people are really surprised that I can actually sing rather than just, you know, sing to get the song across. So I think that, that having the skills to do musical theatre... But also the skills to do the sort of the comedy side of that means that I have this weird straddle. So I go from like today after this, I'm going to go to Cardiff and do a news uh, quiz style radio show. Uh, But then tomorrow I'm doing a musical in Nottingham. So I'm really like constantly going from one to the other to the other, which I really enjoy because I think it, it suits my brain. I think I would die if I did like a two year contract in Mamma Mia. I don't think I, I don't think I could cope because of doing the same thing over and over and over. I think six weeks I could do. Okay. Yeah, that's like a good, have a run at it, but know that it, you've got something else yeah. to, to go to. Like Bianca Del Rio in uh, Jamie, six weeks? What's the longest one I've done? Ten weeks we did at the Apollo with Showstopper and that was... But that's different every night, isn't it? Well, it that's is and not... it isn't because it's the same... So even though it's a different... Obviously the show is different, but it's the same strains every night. I suppose, and I suppose psychologically you're going to the same place yeah. at the same time. You're leaving at the same time every night. It's the same journey. Yeah, I don't think I could even do Showstopper every night for longer than 
six weeks actually which is why at the other palace we change you know we rotate it's because people get tired and fatigued and their brains start to melt because you do start going but I was your wife yesterday wait no I'm your son no what am I where are we we're in Ikea again no <laughs> so I love straddling both worlds and I'd, lo- I'd love to do some uh, more scripted musical theatre but I know that I would, the challenge I would face would be the restraint the restraint and the, the length of the contract because there's some of them are, some of them are great you know some of them are, are shorter like come from away I could see myself being in that show because it's very lively and you're doing lots of different parts and things but like a friend of mine was in Mamma Mia and he was one of the dads and after 18 months he just <laughs> he went insane because <laughs> he just found himself on stage being like I'm sure I've done this and, and because it's like commercial theatre there's like less freedom as well you know even in sort of because if you do something slightly different, it affects the lighting, it affects everything. Because those shows are, they're just like so designed and honed to be so fantastic and have such a huge impact. That if you do something differently, you're actually going to mess up a lot of other people. So it would be selfish to do it. Whereas in my show, Showstopper, we're like constantly trying to challenge each other and surprise each other. So yeah, so I think I'd find that tricky. But I love being this hybrid creature. So when you, when you were 16, 18, how did you begin? Like, where, where did you start? How did you become, how did I become what you are today? What I am today. I, so, I, so I did a stand-up comedy course when I was 18. And so I did some gigs. But in that course, there was one improv module. One day we did improv. And four years later, a lady from that course emailed me and said, I hope this is still your email address. I'm doing a play and it's, I need some improvisers. And I remember you were good at improv. Would you come and do it? Uh, come for doing this afternoon. And I said, sure. So I went to this afternoon and improvised a play. And in this guy, in this play, this guy was there and he said, oh, I'm an improviser in Edinburgh. And this is when I was doing my musical in Edinburgh this year. He said, I'm up with my show. Come and see my show. So I went to see his show. Um, and I, this musical was so um, painful that uh, I would go and see the improv show every night to make it, um, to cheer myself up. And that's how I got into improv land. And then from that show, I then joined an improv group called Scratch, which was with Ruth Bratt, who's in Showstopper. Uh, So Ruth and I were in this group together and we could both sing. And so we we had a pianist and we would make up songs all the time. So, So it was really nice to already at 24 to found oh this is something I can do and um yeah so Ruth and I sort of started making up songs together then and uh but I wasn't a strong improviser so I went to a course and on that course Dylan Emery who's one of the artistic directors of Showstopper but wasn't at that time uh he played the keyboards for this course and then he decided to start this improv musical with Adam Megiddo and Ken Campbell and he said oh will you come along and try because you you're really good at singing and that was the beginning of that. You're such a busy person. How do you plan, but also keep going with everything that you've got going on at the same time? Because you must have some way of, of sort of coping with, with how busy everything is. That's a great question. One my husband would not agree with. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, because everything comes in fits and spurts. So first of all, I, I had to accept that work-life balance is a bad f- phrase for me. Work-life blend is more the phrase I, I use. Like it. It's really good. It's more positive. Well, it's really positive, and also it's the fact that 
you know, when you're freelance and you work in performing, you do sometimes have to drop everything. And sometimes there's also sometimes big periods where there's nothing and that those need to stop being frightening and they need to be like, oh, great, I've got six weeks of nothing. I'm going to actually enjoy that or find a find a little job to pay the bills or whatever. So that so to stop, stop letting uh, fear rule and more be like, I'm just present and I'm here. So that's great. So at the moment, I'm in a busy period, but June is looking a bit quieter, which is really nice. So I tend to... I started doing bullet journaling. Have you heard of this? No. Oh, my God, it's the best. Is this going to change my yeah, life? Yeah, it is. You should look it up on YouTube. It's really good. So all it is is it's a notebook, and you write an index in the front of it. What? How can that change your life? It can change your life because it means you know what everything that's in that notebook. And one of the things of bullet journaling is at the beginning of each month, you write out everything you're going to do that month, and then you have like a to-do list. But again, because it's on a page, you know where it is. So you can just keep referring back to it. Whereas, I don't know if you're like me, but I have 7,000 notebooks. But I can't find anything in a notebook because I don't remember where it is. So bullet journaling has changed my life. And it means that I feel like, oh, okay, I know what I have. I see what I've done. I see what I've achieved. But then like Duncan, who's the MD of Showstopper, uh, and myself and Andrew Pugsley, we run the courses, the Showstopper courses. Um, and he was sending me an email this week saying, oh, I'm sorry I haven't done X, Y, and Z. And I was like, you know what? This week's just the week where we're going to have to be okay with being behind on things. So sometimes you've got to be okay with not being on top of it all. And actually sometimes adding pressure to yourself is the worst way of dealing with it. Yeah. I used to be incredibly anxious, like really anxious, because I was worrying all the time about what I wasn't doing and what I wasn't achieving and who I was letting down and all of these things. Whereas actually the minute I went, okay, what am I achieving? What do I need to do tomorrow? What do I need to tell someone I'm afraid I can't do that anymore? And because most of the time people get annoyed because they don't know where you're at rather than because you have or haven't done something. So just being like really open with people like, oh yeah, I'd love to do that, but I can only do it at this date. Or I'm really sorry, I'm very busy. I can't do that. So, and then if someone gets pissed off because you can't do something, then that's their, that's their problem rather than your problem that anxiety thing just really spoke to me mm. is that a 20s thing no god no this is only like three years ago i oh went gosh, okay. and i'm 700 no i'm 30 <laughs> 36 uh yes about three years ago i was so anxious like crazy anxious that i uh i was uh sort of found myself crying quite a lot for no reason i was like oh this is quite weird uh, my husband was like hmm, you don't normally but i mean when i say crying for no reason i mean he literally like sat there and just crying going i don't it was literally my body was like, I need to get something out, but I don't know what it is. So I was just crying a lot. And so then I and I went to see a counsellor who I'd seen before, because I love counsellors. Everyone should see a counsellor all the time. And she was like, and I explained how I was feeling. She said, you just sound like you're already anxious. And I'd never like really thought about that word before, even though my mum had said to me several times, um, you're quite anxious, <laughs> but you can't hear it from your mum sometimes. And uh, and I was like, oh, you're right. That's exactly what it is. Because I was like, I knew I wasn't. I wasn't depressed. I was really. I was just like holding myself really tight. Uh, and then as soon as I did that, I just like spoke to my agent. Was like, I think what's making me ang- anxious is doing too much. So I need to be doing things because I'm choosing to do them, not because I feel like I have to do them because I'm going to upset someone. Because if I don't do that thing, it won't lead to the thing. Because. I'm holding on to things too tightly, like, this will be the thing that gets me there, you know. Much better to just, yeah, just take the time to let go of those things and be okay with JOMO. You know JOMO? I don't know JOMO. So FOMO is fear of missing out and JOMO is joy of missing out. 
and I love JOMO. That, and I thought I came up with JOMO, right? I was so excited. I was like, oh, FOMO is terrible. I was like, FOMO is a terrible phrase. To have fear of missing out is... I have fear of FOMO. Yeah, you're right. I have exactly. FOMO. <laughs> FOMO. Yeah, the fear of missing out is terrible and terrible to encourage people to feel that, which is what the hashtag FOMO does. Oh my God, I'm missing out on a party or whatever. No, it should be JOMO. It should be, I've chosen not to go to that party and I'm really glad your party is going to be great. And I'm going to have a great time on the sofa or sleeping or whatever it is I need to do as well. So I was reading, someone had put hashtag JOMO or something and I was like, oh God, there needs to be something else. I thought, joy of missing out. I'm so clever. And I did a tweet like, hey, what about instead of FOMO, we think about hashtag JOMO, tweeted it, you know, three likes or whatever. And then thought, I'll just check the hashtag JOMO, text it. It's like 12 million tweets. And then some guy wrote a book called JOMO and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's funny, isn't it? If the internet didn't exist, I'd have a whole career around the word JOMO and we'd never know each other existed. Isn't that funny? In the old days, there were like oh, 20,000 yeah. different people around the world spouting the same old crap, but in their own different way. Whereas now it's like, oh, there's already one person in the world doing that. I better do something else. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's like one person's done this, so I can't. Yeah. Even the same, I think about this about comedy routines. So in the old days, in the old time music hall days and um, the old circuit, comedy circuit, you'd have one act, 20 minutes, and you just go around the country doing that act. And maybe every 10 years you might change it. Uh, whereas now, you put it, if you put it on YouTube, you've essentially burnt your material. So it means you have to constantly come up with new stuff. So I've written nine solo shows in my life. That's a lot of solo material. It's probably more material than a lot of the older comics would have done at this stage in their career because you burn up so much material because there's so many out places to output um so i think also that that affected my anxiety as well the level of work you have to do um to keep fresh in this day and age in terms of that is this going to be the thing how far away from our is this going to be the thing that gets me to the next thing mm. a stage before that is the whole am i on the right track am i doing everything i can do to get to the play i'm totally asking for myself here no great at what point is it just being a millennial, being impatient and wanting things to happen immediately and not that fear of, I need to make sure I'm doing everything I can now for later? Great question. But really the only person who knows the answer is yourself. Mm, not the answer you wanted, but if it's true, I think, um, I think 20s are a very anxious time because we're very a young, you know, we're a world that celebrates youth over experience. And actually to get good at something, you have to have experience. So sure, there's some people who will like have the magic bean and they will just sprout and suddenly become superstars or really great in their field very quickly. But the majority of people just just need to keep doing what you're interested in and doing good work. And actually, once you get over that anxiety of success or, or what you perceive success to be, then I think life becomes a lot easier. So in my 20s, so when I first started doing showbiz showbiz <laughs> I, was, I was like I'm going to have a TV show like Victoria Wood because at school everyone said you're going to be the next Victoria Wood because you can sing you can write funny songs and you're funny so then I spent the first part of my 20s trying to be Victoria Wood forgetting of course that the world is not the same world that Victoria Wood was in so you can't be the new Victoria Wood because that, that world just does not exist anymore then I felt a bit lost because I was like but that was my five year plan and I realised for me I had to stop aiming for a specific thing and start just really digging down in what I was doing now. 
And that's when I started really focusing on improvisation, really focusing on musicals and, um, and writing funny songs. And then and life became a lot, a lot easier. So I think the more you can practice being in the here and now rather than the what's over there, life is so much easier, just so much easier. Because what's over there will, will turn up no matter what you do, uh, as long as you're majority enjoying what you're doing now. That's great advice. Good. I can't wait to listen back to this. <laughs> yes. The parts I'll never play, Thursday at the other palace. This very Thursday. There will be more. This is the first one. So if you want to come, that'd be great because what we want is this one to be super great. And then they'll be like, we should do more of these. And we'll be like, yes, you're right. Uh, and then it will become an institution and then everyone will have a great life. Um, but, you know, I like to live in the moment. <laughs> so at the moment, yeah, come on Thursday and um, let's and let's have a really fun evening just exploring casting and all those parts that we'll never get to play. I've had such a fun hour talking to you. It's been so nice. Thank you, honestly. Thank you, Moki. You can see the parts I'll never play this Thursday, the 23rd of May, at the Other Palace Theatre in London. To keep up with what Pippa's doing next, your best bet is to follow her on Twitter at IamPippaEvans. Next time on the podcast, we're going backstage with Leighton Williams, who's currently playing the title role in Everybody's Talking About Jamie in the West End. If you don't want to miss that, then all you need to do is subscribe to Backstage With wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.